And we're going to look tonight <coughs> at verse 13, Galatians 3 and verse 13. This whole third chapter has been much in my mind over these past uh, few days. Galatians chapter 3 and verse 13 simply tells us what better text could we consider uh, coming to the Lord's table. That Christ hath redeemed us from the curse of the law, being made a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is every one that hangeth on a tree. With God's word open, let's unite our hearts, please, in prayer. Heavenly Father and gracious Lord, we pray that thou, the Holy Spirit, the remembrancer of Christ, will come to our hearts and lives this evening. And that thou will bless the simple truth proclaimed to thy glory. Fill us by thy spirit. Enable us for the task. And may the word fall in hearts prepared of God. And blessed of God to every soul. We ask in Jesus name. Amen. In chapter 3 and 4 of the book of Galatians. Paul takes time to expound upon this great doctrine of justification through faith alone in the Lord Jesus Christ. Now you have to set that in the context of chapter 2, where we read something of the battle that Paul had with the Judaizers that had come from Jerusalem up to Antioch. And they had, they had swayed the opinion of many of the believers there. Even Peter himself was swayed by these Judaizers and they believed that the Gentile Christians at Antioch were not properly converted unless they would be circumcised. So they were trying to uh, put together this work of the law with the work of grace and they said per a person, although they're, they're justified, by the grace of God, they also had to be circumcised in order to be a true believer. So Paul, he wanted to show them uh, that it is either free grace or law. It's either free grace or law. That's why it was lovely to hear on those openings, him, on those opening praises this evening, when free grace awoke me with light from on high. In the opening verses of chapter 3, Paul, he's reasoning with these Galatian believers from their own personal experience, how they had received the Holy Spirit. And when we read that in the writing of Paul, it's just another way of speaking about conversion. And this was done not through the works of the law, but this was done through faith. They received the Spirit by faith. And now he said to them, having begun in the Spirit, are you now going to be made perfect by the works of the flesh? And we know that the two are totally incompatible. And then verse 6 to 9, he used this great illustration of Abraham. How was Abraham justified? And he took us back again to the Old Testament scriptures. Because the Pauline gospel is rooted in the Old Testament scriptures. And that's a wonderful uh, truth. And the significance would not have been lost on the Judaizers. Because Abraham was the father of the Jewish nation. But Paul said something more. He is the father of all who believe. Because we are the children of Abraham by faith. Sometimes we sing in the children's meeting with the boys and girls. 
Father Abraham had many children. I am one and so are you. But we sing that chorus and I'm afraid that the majority haven't an absolute clue of why we're singing it or what it means. If you're a child of Abraham by faith, what does it actually mean? The point to remember is this. And this is what the Judaizers failed to appreciate who come up from Jerusalem to Antioch and Syria and who influenced so many of the believers there that Abraham was declared righteous, justified before Almighty God in chapter 15 and that was two chapters before he was circumcised. And it's estimated there was something of a a 14-year gap between the two events. So if Abraham was not justified by the works of the law, then he asked the question, why were they insisting that the Gentile converts to Christianity had to be circumcised? You're not to put on new Christians more than the law puts upon them. Abraham was justified long before he was circumcised. So it's very clear that it was not his works but rather his faith That was the instrument of his justification. So now in verse 10 to verse 14. This section that we've been reading from this evening. He expands further upon this vital aspect of justification. And he shows that nobody. Nobody can be justified through the observance of the law. What does the law do? The law condemns. The law cannot justify. The law can only condemn. The law brings a curse and condemnation rather than salvation. So Paul said, how then could somebody be justified by trying to observe the law as a way of salvation? When the law declared a curse on everyone who disobeyed even one of its commandments. And the battleground really is just the same today as it was way back then. The great world religions today are all religions of works. And yet with all there's a subtle leaven, I think, in evangelical Christianity that comes very close and akin to that. Well, we're saved by grace, but we also need. We also need. And then there'll become lists of what we also need. But if you have grace and faith in Christ through grace, that's all you need for the saving of your soul. We cannot add anything more onto what God has already decreed. And so... This evening we're going to look at this verse 13 and how Paul took this negative argument. The negative argument is you can't be saved by the law because the law condemns. And we're going to look at how it applies in the gospel to us tonight. So firstly, from verse 10, we learn about our sinful state before a holy God. That's the first lesson every individual needs to learn. That's what we need to teach the boys and girls. That's what we need to teach the older people. That's what we need to continually apply to our own hearts and lives. What is it? Our own sin before Almighty God. It is assumed in in Paul's argument here that no one is able to keep the law perfectly. And if you can't keep the law perfectly, you can't keep the law. Do you get that? You might be able to keep this and this and this, but you can't keep it all. And if you can't keep it all, you've broken the law and you've become liable to the condemnation of the law and the curse that comes with it. So as no one does 
everything that it requires. Therefore, everyone is under the curse and the condemnation of the law. Perfection cannot be uh, obtained by anyone saying they can keep perfectly the law of God. It's an impossibility. Look at verse 22. Paul said, But the scripture has concluded all under sin, that the promise by faith of Jesus Christ might be given to them that believe. This ties in with Romans 3 and 23. Where did God meet everybody? God met every one of us in Romans 3 and 23, where it says all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. What does that mean? All have sinned and come short of what God requires. God's holy standard in his holy righteous law. So what is Paul doing here? He's referring us back again to the Old Testament scriptures. And that's where the roots of Paul's gospel were found in every time. In Galatians 3 and 6, he quotes from Genesis 15, 16, Galatians 3 and 10. He's quoting from the end of the Pentateuch, not from the beginning of it. So he goes to the book of Deuteronomy. And this is Deuteronomy chapter 27 and verse 26. And what does that say? Cursed be he that confirmeth not all the words of this law to do them. And all the people shall say, Amen. Now you read through Deuteronomy 27, 28. There's a very unusual event that's happening with the 12 tribes of Israel before they entered into the promised land. So they're divided six and six. And they're divided between Mount Gerizim and Mount Ebal. And what happened? At Mount Gerizim, all the curses are read out. At Mount Ebal, all the blessings of the law were read out. So all the people were able to hear before they entered into the promised land all the blessings that came with obedience. But they were made to realize the curse comes with disobedience and the condemnation comes with disobedience. And so the summary of it is very clear. If someone rejected all the words of the law, they would suffer the just condemnation of the law. In other words, the only way to avoid the curse was to keep the law of God perfectly. Now we ought to let this truth sink into our hearts. Because there's none of us, and, and you and I know it so well, there's none of us have kept the law of God perfectly. And so the Bible says, the soul that sinneth, it shall die. Not just die physically, but die eternally. The soul that sinneth, it shall die. And that is the curse of God's law. And it's all embracing and it's all encompassing. We've been thinking of the shorter catechism, question 18. And it reminds us that all mankind by their fall lost communion with God. Are under his wrath and curse and so made liable to all the miseries in this life to death itself and the pains of hell forever. That one catechism just lists out so uh, succinctly all of the curses of the law, the broken law of God. What does it tell us? Those who have broken the law of God, even just one commandment, you're guilty of all of it. You've lost communion with God. Adam and Eve thought it wasn't a big thing, really, eating of the fruit of the tree of good and evil. That's not really a big deal, is it? The devil said to them, you know, it will not really make much difference. But just eating that one bite broke the whole law of God. They lost communion with God. They were under his wrath and curse. They were made liable to all the miseries of this life. Oftentimes we hear people say when tragedies happen, where was God? 
The miseries of this life are evidence that we live in a broken, fallen, sinful world. Inevitably, to death itself, that you and I die barring the second return of Jesus Christ, it is inevitable. What does that prove again? The curse of the broken law of God. We live in a world that's under the curse of the law of God. And ultimately, to those who die unforgiven, to the pains of hell forever. This was devastating to the Judaizers of Paul's day. They were the ones who professed that they were able to keep the law. But Paul reminded them, nobody can keep the law perfectly. And if you fail to keep the law even in one point, you become liable to the penalty of the whole law. That's exactly what verse 10 is teaching us. No man is justified by the law in the sight of God. Sorry, verse 11. No man can be justified by the law of God. How is it then? Then secondly, notice with me, verse 11 and 12, that we're saved through faith alone. Verse 11. The just shall, the latter part, the just shall live by faith. And the law is not of faith, but the man that doeth them shall live in them. So again, this is from the Old Testament scriptures. We're no longer now in the Pentateuch, we've been brought to the prophets. This is Habakkuk chapter 2 and verse 4. Behold, his soul which is lifted up is not upright in him, but the just shall live by faith. This was a pivotal truth of the Old Testament prophets, and, and Paul took it and he outlined it. And with the illumination of the Spirit of God, he taught this wonderful truth of justification through faith alone. So if he took the a illustration of Abraham to prove that souls are justified by faith and not through personal merit. He's emphasizing it again through the latter part of the Old Testament scriptures. Remember, all of his gospel is rooted in those Old Testament scriptures. And the message of the entire New Testament from the Pentateuch to the prophets and in the poetical books, it's all the same. That no man can be justified by the law because it's plainly taught the just shall live by faith alone. Paul's uh, usage of the Old Testament is further seen in verse 12. We, ha we have another quotation from the Old Testament. And he's in the book of Leviticus. And he, he prefaces uh, his quotation from Leviticus 18 and verse 5 and verse 12a. He said, and the law is not of faith. So there's two opposites in one little statement. You have the law and faith. If you argue for salvation through keeping the law, then it has to be complete, not partial obedience. And if the law is to be a means of justification, then it has to be total obedience that is required. So the meaning is very clear. The man that doeth them, that's the commandments of God, the judgments of God, the law of God, shall live in them. You have to live or die by the law. You have to live or die by the law. And if you're going to live by the law, you have to keep all of the law. But you and I know the book of James tells us, whosoever shall keep the whole law and yet offend in one point, he is guilty of all. You cannot be saved by grace and human merit. When the scripture says, and I reiterate it, when a man is justified by faith, it means that he's justified 
by nothing else that he's able to do. It's either through faith in Christ alone or nothing else. Now tell me tonight, where is your faith? And who is your faith in? If it's in something other than Christ alone, it will not carry you one step forward and will not take you to heaven or to God's eternal home. It's an impossibility. The two are incompatible. Since the Bible teaches us that we are saved by grace through faith alone, well then, we know that the curse of God's law addressed on Jew and Gentile alike. That was, that was something for those Judaizers to realize. Rather than obtaining salvation by the law, they were living under the curse of the law. They had the condemnation of the law. Remember Paul is talking to the ultra-religious people of his day. And I know I'm talking to religious people tonight in Anna Long Free Presbyterian Church. And even those that are listening on online, we're not talking to the irreligious, we're talking to the religious. But if you want to reach heaven and your eternal home at the end of the journey, your faith has to be in Christ alone. No one else, just in Christ alone. This text takes us a little step further and it leads us to conclude that it is through only the substitutionary work of Christ alone that we can be saved from the curse of the law. Look at verse 13. Christ hath redeemed us. I, I love these words, these old-fashioned biblical words that teach us about the salvation of the Lord Jesus Christ. Here we have one of the great New Testament words, redeemed or redemption. It's one of the chief metaphors that Paul used to describe the saving work of the Lord Jesus Christ. The word redemption, of course, would have been well known by both Jew and Gentile in the New Testament time. It was an everyday term that was used to describe purchasing. And it would have been very common usage uh, in purchasing of slaves. You'll remember how the Mosaic law provided for redemption, especially of those who had become slaves. In the Old Testament times, for example, if you went into bankruptcy, if you went into bankruptcy, you could sell yourself to someone's service, a form of slavery. There was actually a role of the Redeemer, a Redeemer in Israelite law, known as the kinsman Redeemer, and he had the right, he had the privilege of buying his relatives out of bondage or out of poverty. We think of the great illustration of Boaz and Ruth. And it's interesting to think that when Job said, I know that my Redeemer liveth, that he was confessing himself to be in bondage. And he was confessing himself, though he's one of the richest mans of the men of the East, he was confessing himself that only somebody else other than himself could bring him out of this bondage. Now who is that? Redemption is then an experience. We're bought out of bondage by somebody else paying the ransom. Who paid the ransom? Well, the ransom was paid by Jesus Christ for his people on the cross of Calvary. He paid the ransom. 
In 1 Peter 1, 18, 19, we read that we are not redeemed with corruptible things. And then it talks about silver and gold. But it says in verse 19, we're redeemed with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. So in the original context, again of where Paul is quoting, Deuteronomy 21-23, the reference is not to the Roman system of crucifixion when the person was put on the gibbet and he was put on that cross and nailed to the cross, but the reference in Deuteronomy 21-23 is to the Roman practice of stoning. That was their, their method of, of uh, execution. And then afterwards, the body had been stoned would be hung up on a tree. A public notice. A public warning. This is what happens when you break the law. And if being hung up on the tree was a sign of shame, how much then being killed on the tree itself was a, a sign of shame. So the text makes, makes it plain that as he hung on the yon, yonder cross of Calvary, Christ was made sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. He was made the curse for us. It was for us he bore the curse. It was for us he bore the hell that was our due. On yonder cross he bore Calvary's curse for us. Martin Luther was once counselling a young Christian about salvation, about really assurance of salvation. And I read this quote, and it's lovely. He said, learn Christ and him crucified. If you're doubting your salvation, the devil has said, you don't come to the table, but the Lord says, come. The Lord says, come. Learn Christ and him crucified. Learn to pray to him. And despairing of yourself, say, thou, Lord Jesus, art my righteousness but I am thy sin. Thou hast taken upon thyself what is mine, and thou hast given to me what is thine. Thou hast taken upon thyself what was not, what thou wast not, and hast given to me what I was not. At this table tonight, we thank God for the substitutionary death of the Lord Jesus Christ. He lived, he died, he bore our curse. Horatius Bonner wrote one of those lovely hymns for the communion season. He's one of the first hymn writers of the Scottish church. And he put it like this, On merit not my own I stand. On doings which I have not done, merit beyond what I can claim, doings more perfect than my own. Upon a life I have not lived, upon a death I did not die, another's life, another's death, I stake my whole eternity. That's what we're doing at this table tonight. We're saying before the world, we're saying to our soul, we're saying to the spirit world, we're saying that we stake our all upon the death of Christ on Calvary's cross because there he bore the curse in our room and in our stead. It doesn't matter then whether you're a Jew or a Gentile. It doesn't matter then what ethnic background that you come from. All are invited to come and to receive the promise of the Spirit. If it is the, the cross work of Christ that has removed the curse of the law and the condemnation of the law, it is the cross work of Christ also 
that has brought to us the promise of the Spirit through faith. And verse 14 reminds us that the blessing of Abraham might come on the Gentiles through Jesus Christ. Why are we children of Abraham tonight? Because the blessing of Abraham has come on the Gentiles through Jesus Christ. Through our faith in Christ. We're children of Abraham by faith. And through simple faith in Christ. We're forever united to the Son of God. For time and for all of God.